0: did not continue that, so if you want to pray that she would, we would appreciate that. Hopefully that will become her MO here in the next few days. We'll see what happens, but uh, she turns two months old tomorrow, so we're thankful for that. She's healthy, doing well, and, and, uh, you know, you can kind of tell she's kind of the center of our world these days, but Um, one of my favorite things about elementary school, as long ago as that was, was show and tell. Do you guys remember that little... I don't know, activity, I guess you would call it. Well, one teacher tells about a particular show-and-tell that she will never forget, and she says this. I'm walking into the building this morning, and one of my second-grade boys says, Hi, Mrs. S. Today is show-and-tell in a very excited voice. but very curious. Look, he said as he opened his backpack, and I'm not making this up, up against his books and his homework was a possum. (laughs) A dead possum from last year. You know the kind, flat as a pancake, roadkill, just fur and bones, completely intact, eye sockets looking back at me. I peered in, smiled, and said, cool. And off he went to his classroom. Now, the right thing to do at this point would have been inform, to inform his teacher, but I didn't want to spoil the fun, so I just went to my own classroom and died laughing. So I, I can't even imagine what it must have been like for that teacher, not, not this one, but the one that actually was hosting show and tell that day whenever he pulled out that dead possum. But uh, as the church, as the body of Christ, I believe we have been really called to show and tell Am I? Is it, we really want to know uh, our, uh, we want to have a solid identity. And we talked about our gospel-centered identity a few weeks back. And another question that we all that uh, for those of us who are Christians, the answer to both of those questions, Who am I and why am I here? is actually, is tied to the church and understanding Christ. And so, this morning I want to talk about why the church exists and what our purpose is so that we can understand corporately and as a church body here, what that is for us as a group, but also so we can understand what that means for us as individuals. And so that's, we're, we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, looking at verses 1 through 10. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and flip there. If you need one, there's one in the back of the pew in front of you. And as we look at this, this uh, passage today, we're going to really wrestle with, with three questions. And I've already brought up two of them. Uh, who are we? Why do we exist? And then finally, what should we do about it? Who are we, why do we exist, and what should we do? Um, expecting you to to come and be with us this morning as we spend time in the scriptures. So we ask that you would uh, use this time to direct In verses 4 and 5, Peter says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So Peter says here that we are like living stones as we come to the living stone, who is Jesus. And so our collective identity as the church, is defined by, completely sourced in, who Jesus is. If we want to answer the question, who are we, we have to first answer the question, who is Jesus? And in this text, Peter helps us with that. Peter tells us in verse 4 that Jesus is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. It says that he's a living stone because of the resurrection. He's not a stone that is dead, he is alive. And it's good for us to remind ourselves of that. Sometimes we think of Jesus kind of, he becomes out of sight, out of mind, or you think think of him as somebody we read about in a book, but he is alive. He's alive today. He is is sitting at the right hand of the Father uh, as our mediator, being, being the one who has finished his work of bringing us to God. But Peter goes on to explain this metaphor of the living. And Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. So you've heard it before, but I want to remind you that a cornerstone was a foundation for a building. So it was like a slab that you would think of in a modern house. You lay a slab, and then you build the house on top of that. A cornerstone, when you were building things out of stone, was the foundation that held the entire... We exist because he exists. Without Jesus, there is no church. And Isaiah says that this cornerstone is chosen and precious, which gets to the point, and we know this, but Jesus is beautiful. He's magnificent, and all praise and honor belong to him. But he also says that Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And that's because Jesus is God, and in his earthly ministry, he claimed to be God, and people did not like that. They did not respond to that, and so he became offensive to them, because he knew they knew that if they did not accept that, that that would mean that they were condemned. That would mean that they were rejecting, rejecting him, and so he becomes this stone of stumbling, this rock of offense, and he's becomes somebody, I mean, he is somebody that really kind of divides people. I mean, when you truly listen to his claims, you don't walk away with just, you know, kind of if you really listen to him, there's no way to be kind of in the middle on Jesus. You either accept him or you don't. And so as the song they sang earlier, I mean, it's, it's really, you either fall on him and you're broken or he falls on you and you, and you and you will be subject to the wrath of God. So people reject him. They stumble, disobeying his call to repentance. And so they're left dead in their sins. So Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the center. He's the sustainer of the church and we find our identity and purpose in him. And now that we've... we've ...as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood. So we are a spiritual house. We are actually the dwelling place of God. That's what we are. lived in a structure now he lives in a people in you and in me and so we are the place that he has chosen to be on this earth it's pretty powerful when you think about it i mean everywhere you go everywhere we we exist is a is we are bringing the presence of god with us and according to peter he also says that we are In fact, there was also one, one priest, the high priest, who was the only one allowed to go into the innermost part of the sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, and he only went in there once a year. ...to the sacrificial system because he was the true atonement for our sins. These other sacrifices had to be done repeatedly, they had to be done every time there was an offense, once a year they had to to go in and make these sacrifices on the day of atonement, but Jesus himself is our atonement, and so his sacrifice put an end to that system. That's why it says when you read, um, I forget which gospel it is, but um, right after he gives up his his last breath, it says that the veil of the temple was torn in two, making a way for people to have, be granted full access to God. So it's no longer this special group of priests or this special high priest from this tribe of Levi, but it is now possible for anyone to have access to God because of Jesus, those that place their faith in him. And so when it says that we are a holy priesthood, It means that we have been granted full access to God, and we are now called to this this ministry, this service of making spiritual sacrifices. And so in the church, a lot of times, especially in, in the Western world, like here in America, we think of ministry as something that is relegated or reserved for Average believer, in one sense. I mean, God's calling all of us to be ministers on His behalf, to go and bring the presence of God, bring people to Him, to be somebody who is excited about Him and wanting people to engage with Him in worship. And so it's not just for a select group of people who are. a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So not only are we God's dwelling place, we are also a chosen race. In the Old Testament, God's chosen people was the nation of Israel. He had a special relationship with them. He was their God. They were his people. In the New Testament, in Christ, he is making a new people. He is making a new race of those who are believers in Jesus. And so we are now... ...actually supersedes that. And, I mean, if you wanted to, you could, you could kind of take a second here and talk about how racism has no place in the kingdom of God in the, in the church because of this, because God is making people... spiritual people. And he also calls us a holy nation. It means that we are set apart by God for God. And it's really important for us to, to remember that the nation that you and I belong to God's kingdom and our our true obligation, our true duty, our true uh, calling is to worship, serve, and fulfill the purposes of that nation. it's fine to be a great patriot, a great citizen of the United States, but more important than, than that is if we are a great citizen and a great part of God's nation. His At very least, offering spiritual sacrifices to God includes these three things. First of all, it includes giving God our bodies, our physical bodies. And what I mean by that it means that we use our bodies for His glory. That means that we work hard. We talked about that when we talked about the gospel and work. It means that we do things with excellence. It means that we that we do things. And, and use our bodies in a way that is honorable to him but secondly I believe that it also includes giving God our praise and our thanks and so what that what that means is I think that means Giving God our bodies it involves giving him praise and thanks, and then I think the third thing at the very least spiritual sacrifices involves giving God our acts of love I think he I believe he is is to praise God. And then in verses 9 and 10, Peter says this. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, and this is the part I want to focus on, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So as the church, God has actually given us a mandate. He's given us a calling to... ...what he has done. God has rescued us, like this, uh, this text says, from darkness and brought us into marvelous light. He's taken us from our bondage to sin and death, and brought us into life by the life, death, resurrection of our Savior, His Son, Jesus. And He did all of that to bring us back to Himself, to redeem us, to restore our relationship with Him, but also so that we would go and tell of how great He is. That's what it says here. So we are saved to tell of our Savior. We are redeemed to boast of our Redeemer. We were in need of mercy and we've received that mercy. And God's intention in doing that, in part, is that we would go and declare with our mouths that we would proclaim, that involves saying something, that Jesus saves and that God is the great and glorious one true God, worthy of all worship. So why do we exist? What is our intention, our purpose as the church? We exist, you put those two things together. We exist to praise God and proclaim his worth. To praise God and proclaim his worth. And I think this is, this is a way to think of it really, really succinctly. I read this this week as I was preparing for this message. I found this quote by, by John Piper. He says this, God made us who we are to show the world who he is. He made us who we are to show the world who he is. And that's, that's, that's what his purpose in salvation is. It doesn't end with us. He didn't do it because he just thought we were so great, but he did it because he loves us and he's merciful, but also that we would go and proclaim how great and glorious he is. In order to stay focused on all of this, you might have thought I skipped over the first three verses. In verses 1 through 3, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. Uh, Secondly, he gives us a positive command here. First, he tells us to put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And the reason why is that these are things that will undermine and they will attack and uh, devalue and just completely destroy any opportunity that we're going to have to go and show the world who God is and proclaim how great he is. If we're involved in these things, it doesn't matter what we say, our testimony will fall flat. And so he wants to protect us, and he, he's given us these commands because he's saying, hey, these are, not, these are not, first of all, they're not honoring to God, but they're also going to undermine your ability to be the people of God. And what I believe that he's saying here is a lot of people, there's kind of a debate as I was studying this week, you got about 50% of people that say that the spiritual milk, the pure spiritual milk is the word of God. And about but so that we would know about a person. And so the way that we stay focused on our purpose and our calling as the church is, first of all, by not engaging in, in sinful behavior and attitudes that will destroy our, any attempt to live for God, but secondly, by craving God, by developing an appetite, a hunger, a yearning, Sustainer. He's the one who will carry us through. So I began the morning with the story about the show and tell with the dead possum, and some of you probably thought that was pretty gross. Communicates who he is and what he desires so that we will be changed and then live differently as a result of it because he wants us to be his messengers, he wants. in light of this stuff. I mean, it's pretty simple, I believe, because he kind of lays it out here for us. I mean, he tells us that we're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. I think the two things that we're called to do is to, first of all, praise God and proclaim his worth. We just talked about that being our purpose, but now that's our calling. That's what we're supposed to do with our feet, not just with our heads. I was supposed to just sit here and listen to this, but actually put it into action. So we're called to praise God and, and also proclaim his work, worth. Praise God. Like I said before, use your body to praise him. Work hard this week. Do things that are honorable. honorable. Abstain from things this week that are unhonorable or dishonorable secondly give thanks each day for what god has given you and praise him for who he is it's easy to kind of cars comes from him it's a gift we don't deserve it it's a gift But third, look for ways to actively love people this week. And the second half, proclaim his worth. How do we do that this week? I mean, that looks differently for each one of us. But I think at the very least that means that God is on our lips. He's on our lips. We're not ashamed to talk about him. We're not afraid to talk about who he is and what he has done. He's not just this this little side part of our existence, but he's at the very center of it. And so, it doesn't mean that you have to go awkwardly force it and like run into your office on Monday morning and start like standing up in your cubicle and reading the word of God. That's not what I mean. Unless you really want to do that, that'd be kind of fun. Tell me how that goes. But uh, It means that maybe you have a friend that you've been wanting to share the gospel with. You know... ...who's going through a really, really tough time. And you yourself have a testimony. We all do. We have this story to tell of how God has been faithfully carrying us through this life. And maybe today... how he's been good to me. Or maybe even you find yourself, you're like, I don't think I'm quite ready for that. You know, if I'm honest, I'm afraid to do that because people are going to think I'm strange. Who are you calling me to proclaim your excellency to? Who have you placed in my life that you want me to be vocal about my faith, about my God. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning grateful that we are a privileged people, grateful that your Son died on the cross. In our place, but was raised three days later, that he's alive today, that he has been the atonement for our sins, that he is the atonement for our sins, that he has. Those who are called to display who you are, to proclaim who you are. Give us the courage to do that this week. And Lord, I pray that you would... Help us to live in a conscious awareness of this calling, and help us to encourage one another. Help us to help each other to fulfill this mission that you have us on. In Jesus' name, amen.